We're going to read about the triumphal entry. Uh, just less than a week after this, we read in, in Matthew 27, and we'll read, we'll read about it more on Friday, this coming Friday, uh, but we read about the Jewish leaders asking permission from Pilate to kill Jesus. Uh, they couldn't just do it themselves. They, they needed to get permission from uh, the, the government in charge. Uh, and they, they had tried to arrest and kill Jesus other times, uh, but he had, he'd evaded them. He'd, uh, they were afraid because the crowds were around him and they seemed to be on his side. But finally, through a lot of uh, false testimony and and through a lot of lies, and through a lot of anger, and through a lot of hatred, they'd managed to turn the crowd against Jesus. Uh, the, the whole uh, interaction between Jesus and Pilate is fascinating to me. Go back and read that story. Pilate pronounces Jesus innocent a number of occasions. Like, I find no fault in this guy. What do you want me to do? But the crowds keep shouting, crucify him, crucify him. We... We want him killed. And, and Pilate, he's worried that there's going to be this, this uprising, this, this revolt. And, and Pilate's kind of a middle manager and he's got people above him that are watching. And so feeling like he doesn't have any other choice, he tries to wash his hands of the whole thing and he hands Jesus over to the Jews to be crucified. And it's, it's an ugly, awful, painful story. But maybe, maybe the, the worst part about it, the hardest part, the most confusing part about the story is that these people who were shouting, crucify him, just a few days later are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. Like they're, they're shouting, oh, Jesus, save us now. They're, they're worshiping him as he rides into Jerusalem, proclaiming him as their king. Same people, the same exact people who a few days later are shouting crucify Him. Praising Him one day and literally just a few days later are cursing Him. How does that happen? How does someone go from being a huge Jesus fan to being an enemy of Jesus in just a matter of days? That, that's a question that I want, I want us to deal with a little bit this morning because I don't want that to happen to us. I don't want us to fall into whatever trap they fell into. And, and maybe the best way to figure out what happened there is to go back, go back to Palm Sunday and, and read it and study it and try and see if there are some, some answers to why they turned on him. Let, let's look. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It says that when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately He will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, 
even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them. And He sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of Him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest. When He had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This passage here paints a picture for us of, of, of people who seem to, to love and worship Jesus. But we know, we know because we know how the story ends, that their love and devotion is superficial. It was fleeting. Really, it didn't, didn't even make it past the end of the week. And I think part of the reason for their quick change was the fact that they were really more focused on their own personal preferences than they were on God's providence. They cared more about their desires, what they wanted, what they thought they needed, rather than God's will. The text is really clear that God is heavily at work here, right? I mean, God providentially supplies the donkey for Jesus to ride on. This event is, is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It's all a part of God's plan. God is, is moving. But, really this crowd isn't interested in who Jesus is or why He came. They didn't really care about what God was trying to do in their midst. What they saw is this guy could be our king. This guy could free us from slavery. They really didn't want a a spiritual savior. They wanted a political savior. They wanted somebody who would come in and free them from oppression and make their lives easier. They wanted a guy who could come and, and, and just fix all their hurts and banish their enemies and lower their taxes and make every day Friday and solve all of their immediate problems. That was the Jesus that they were worshiping. And it's, and it's clear from the text that they didn't really fully understand who Jesus was. Because they were asking, people were asking, who, okay, so who is this guy again? I know we're like worshiping him and we all seem to be really positive here, but who? who what's, what's the deal with him again? And they respond, this is, this is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth in Galilee. Really? That's it? That's all he is? Just a... Just a prophet? I mean, the, the yelling has barely stopped. And already Jesus seems to have been demoted from son of David to uh, this guy from Nazareth. They wanted, they wanted a reigning king. 
And, and I don't think they cared that much about what God wanted. And when it became clear to them that Jesus wasn't going to give them what they wanted, they turned on Him in a vicious way. They were blind to the providence of God, to God's will and God's work right there in their midst because of their own preferences. And and unfortunately, this exact same problem persists all the way till today. All too often we come to Jesus because of what we hope we can gain for ourselves. And there are entire denominations that are built around the idea that Christianity is all about what you can gain for yourself, all about the health and wealth that you've got coming to you. The problem with that is that that mentality turns us into these weird consumers instead of worshipers. It, it teaches people that they need to follow their wants instead of God's will. And, and ultimately, what's going to happen every single time is that those people are going to be disappointed and disenchanted with Christianity quickly. Because, honestly, and I'm sorry if this is a shock to you, but Christianity isn't about you. It's not about you primarily. Sorry to break that news to you. Sometimes people just get, they get so upset with God for not giving them what they want. And, and we still lash out at Him and, and turn on Him just like this crowd did. So, so at this point, I gotta ask the question, why are you here today? And, and who are you here to worship? Which Jesus? That, that one that uh, you think is going to give you all the things that you want, the one that's going to fill your needs, or this, this providential sovereign God who came to really solve our deepest need, our biggest problem, not just to give us stuff, but to save us from sin. I, it, takes, it takes time and it takes uh, patience to discover God's will. And, and it isn't easy for us to relinquish our desires and fall under God's providential care. But if we never mature past this point of selfish Christianity, then it's only going to be a matter of time before some wave of life knocks us off our feet and causes us to get bitter and angry at God. So the crowd here, they turned on Jesus because He didn't deliver what they wanted. Another, another reason why I think they were able to turn on Him so quickly is because this crowd seems to be more controlled by emotion than by devotion. And there's a big difference between emotions and devotion, right? This, this here is, is mob mentality, both at the triumphal entry and at the trial. 
At the triumphal entry, Jesus is like the hot thing of the day. He's the guy that's, that's cool. Even people who don't know what's going on are there joining the party and, and celebrating. Again, th- those verses, that who, who, who is this again that we're, that we're celebrating? Could be, because it doesn't matter. Everybody loves to be a part of a winning team, right? It doesn't even matter who we're rooting for. We just like to be rooting for winners. How else can you explain Patriots fans, really. Uh, it's just, there's, there's this whole fair weather fan thing that exists, right? And if you own a Golden State Warriors jersey, I'm just going to say that you might be a fair weather. That's two sports references in one paragraph. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But human beings are very emotional creatures. We can get excited and whipped up easily. And some of us are more emotional than others. And, and we all have had those times in our lives where, where sometimes we're controlled more by our feelings, right? Where emotions just kind of take the wheel and our brain is gone. And my, my daughter got for, uh, for Christmas this, this calendar and this book that's uh, like a, a comic strip called Heart and Brain. It's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> and it's, it's like a brain, like an actual brain, and, and a heart that talk and interact with each other. And, and it's funny. I think I have an example of one of the cartoons here. Uh, here's the brain working, right? Because that's what brains do. Uh, and here the heart, the heart is saying, I don't want to work. This is torture. And the brain's saying, we don't have a choice. Sometimes you just have to do things that you don't want to do. And the heart says, you're oppressing me. And the brain says, you're being dramatic. And then the heart says, dramatic. I've only just begun. Right? And our heart just like, it, yeah. And so, so the comic strip is cool because the heart is usually the like, the like flaky one, the, the one that always kind of seems to have maybe not the, the healthiest food choices or the best ideas on how to spend time. And, and the brain is the sensible, smart one. But I like the comic strip because it's balanced and it shows that there's times where your heart does need to kind of uh, be allowed to lead in some ways. And, but really, uh, all brain and no heart is a bad thing. All heart and no brain is just as dangerous. There, there are sometimes uh, some churches that will build an entire worship service around emotional experience. And, and, and there's a good reason why. I mean, it's understandable why. Because emotion is something that feels good to us. It's something that's, that's uh, tangible. You know what I mean? It's, we, can, we can touch it and feel it and sense it. And, and there are some people who feel like they really aren't connecting with God unless they can, they can feel Him in a more tangible way. But emotion isn't always the same thing as devotion. And don't get me wrong, emotions are not bad things. I think our capacity for emotion and for feeling is something that God gave us. It's a part of what it means to be created in His image. God wants us to love Him deeply. The problem is, when we begin to let that control. When we begin to worship experiences or emotions, and that causes us to neglect actually worshiping God. A danger comes in, in, in manufacturing emotions that are really devoid of any true knowledge of or, or love for God. 
Because really, it should start there, right? I mean, it should start with, with seeing and understanding who God is and what He's done and how awesome and wonderful it is. And the response that should come from that knowledge is a heart that is just filled with love and praise and worship. And for many of us, we, we came uh, to faith through some kind of uh, special event, right? Some kind of experiential thing, summer camp or maybe a special church service or some other experience. And, and, and usually those times are full of, of conviction and, and deep sorrow for our sin, complete gratefulness to, to God and, and what He's done uh, through, through Jesus Christ and paying for all of our sins. Uh, I was saved at this like evangelistic seminar on the evils of rock and roll music, and I can remember like going forward and tears in my eyes. It was a very emotional thing for me, and I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. But emotions wear off. Emotions change quickly. They come and go. Over time, if my relationship with God didn't grow and deepen and mature, eventually, when the emotion faded, I would have faded as well. I mean, emotion is a big part of helping me come to Christ, but devotion to Him is what makes me a Christian. Just, just like there were certain emotions and a lot of hormones that attracted me to Camille. But commitment and devotion is what deepens our love over the long haul. Because emotions come and go. God doesn't just want our, our passing interest in Him. He doesn't just want your feelings of excitement every now and then. He isn't just looking for emotion, but true, genuine devotion to Him. This crowd, they'd been whipped into a frenzy, and and man, there was a lot of things that had happened. Uh, They'd seen Jesus raise a man from the dead, and they've seen people healed. They see everybody else in the crowd singing His praises, but their devotion clearly was not with Jesus. Because when the tide turned, The crowd's emotion of love and adoration quickly turned to emotions of hatred and anger. The bottom line here is that what Jesus wants is devoted followers, not fair-weather fans. And these crowds were huge fans. They saw Jesus as a celebrity. He, He was like, like having a rock star ride through town on a donkey. They were fans of his miracles, and they were fans of his message of like peace and hope, and fans of his authoritative way of teaching, fans of the idea that, that he was going to free them, but their, their relationship with him really didn't go any deeper than that. It's, it's good, it's, it's fine if you are a Jesus fan. But that can't just be the extent of your relationship with Him. It's got to go deeper. I mean, I can understand why you'd want to be a fan of Jesus. He's a nice guy, and the church is a safe place, and there's a lot worse places that you could spend a, a Sunday morning. 
But again, Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers, for disciples. And, and the, the difference there, the change between a fan and a follower, a disciple, really has to do with knowing who Jesus is. It comes when we understand exactly who it is. Because I think that was the biggest problem with this crowd. They didn't really see who he was. They didn't really know who he was. That's why they asked, who is this guy again? Like if they would have understand really who Jesus was, it would have changed everything. Our true devotion to Christ only comes when we have a true understanding that that Jesus is way more than just a prophet, way more than just a, a teacher, way more than just a good example. When, when we understand that this is, this is God incarnate, the second person of the, the Trinity, the Savior of all mankind, when we see who Jesus really is, that through His, his death and His sacrifice for us, all of our sins get paid for. That is huge when we understand who He is and what He's done. That's the only thing that changes us from being fans to followers. There's lots of examples in the Bible of people who, who made that shift from being just a mere fan to, to a follower. One of my favorites is Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's one of the, one of the bad guys, right? Yet, <laughs> there's a guy that sees that there's, there's something different about Jesus. Like he comes to Jesus, he comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want any of his Pharisee buddies to know that he's talking to Jesus. That'd get him in trouble. But he says to him, I, there's something different. I know there is because nobody could do these miracles that you're doing unless God was with them. And, and, and so Nicodemus is already starting to see that there's something about Jesus because of, because of what he's doing that has to be from God. And they have this, this, this cool conversation and this interaction. Nicodemus' belief begins with seeing Jesus' miracles, but then it deepens through listening to Jesus' teaching. It, Jesus says, listen, it's, it's, it's about not just birth, but spiritual rebirth. And Nicodemus doesn't understand how does that work? How can you be born again after you've already been born? That sounds like it. I, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. And so Jesus explains this truth, this deep truth. In John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Those words Jesus said to Nicodemus, this guy who was, who was searching. And, and this is an amazing self-revelation by Jesus. He shows Nicodemus who He really is. I think we all begin our journey with God in a, kind of the same way. I mean, it starts with the, with the realization that we have some deep needs and Jesus seems to be the real deal. We come because we are attracted to what Jesus seems to be able to do for us. We're attracted by our desperate need for healing. 
But for, for that seed of faith to take root, we've got to know Jesus. We have to learn more about who He is and why He matters. We have to ask hard questions. We have to humble ourselves just like Nicodemus did here. Work through those things that we don't, we don't understand. And then, and then we have to accept the truth of the Gospel that Jesus is God's own Son. He's no mere man. He's sent by God as a sacrifice of atonement. He is the source and the ground of life. And simply through faith in Him, through believing in Jesus, we have eternal life. The crowd that praised Jesus on Palm Sunday didn't have that level of belief. They were just fans of what Jesus could do. They were driven by emotion. They had their own ideas about what they wanted Him to be. But they never really understood who Jesus was. I think, I think in every group there will be those who care more about uh, their personal preferences than they do about the providential will of God. And there will be others who are, who are searching for some kind of emotional experience. Not, not a devotional relationship with God. And there's others who are big fans, just big fans of Him, but not quite ready to be followers. And listen, it's okay to start there. It's okay to start at that place. It's okay to start out as a fan, but it's not okay to stay there. At some point, there needs to be maturity and growth. At some point, we need to learn who Jesus is and worship Him for who He is. Not familiar with what He can do for us. We need to allow God to guide and lead in our life instead of always trying to grab that wheel and do it ourselves. Because true discipleship, it's, it's not about emotional hype, but constant daily faithfulness. On, on this Palm Sunday... If you are a fan of Jesus, kind of watching from the outside, let me encourage you uh, to, to move that relationship with Him to the next phase. To move from being just a fan to a devoted follower. Do whatever it takes to get there. Uh, if, if that means you come and, and talk to me, and, and I, man, I'd be happy to sit down and meet with you and work through the Bible and show you more about who Jesus is. What it means to be a follower of Him. Maybe it means uh, joining a community group or being part of a Bible study of some... Maybe it means just opening up the Gospel of John and reading about who Jesus is. Whatever it is for you. Whatever you need to do to draw closer to Jesus Christ. Take that step. Don't just be a fan. Be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. God, thank You, Lord, for Jesus. Thank You for what He came to do for this whole mission. The whole purpose is to come and to, to rescue us and to save us from our sin. Lord, I know that part of that sin is a deep selfishness that every single one of us possesses. Because of that, we, we kind of care more about our own self-interest and our own preferences and our own desires and we have our own ideas about what we need and what we want 
and Lord, it's a, it's a full miracle when you come and humble us and replace that with a true devotion to you. God, that's our desire. That's what we want. That we wouldn't be selfish fans, but that we would be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Knowing that, God, you are in control and that you are a good, loving God. That you are a God who is so worthy of all our devotion and praise. Again, I thank you, dear God, for Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.